Welcome to the Pearl of Great Price podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's the 6th of July, and on this day in Christian history, we go back to the year 1942, and we travel to Portugal in Western Europe, where the Romanian historian of religions, Mercha Eliada, was received by President Antonio Salazar. After praising his Estado Novo, the new state, this had been formed in Portugal after a coup d'etat in 1926 against the democratic but unstable First Republic. Inspired by conservative and autocratic ideologies, it would be fiercely criticised by most of the international community after the Second World War and decolonisation. And until Salazar was removed in 1968, it was one of the longest surviving authoritarian regimes in Europe. Eliada was one of the 20th century's most interesting religious thinkers, with his intuitions about the sacred. After publishing a dissertation on Italian Renaissance philosophy at the University of Bucharest, he then studied in Calcutta primarily under the Sanskrit scholar Surendranath in Dasgupta, and then spent six months practicing yoga at Rishikesh under the direction of Swami Shivananda. After this eclectic academic formation, he became a journalist and essayist, and in the 1940s he served as cultural attaché for Hungary to the United Kingdom and Portugal. It was in his role of cultural attaché to Portugal that he wrote his naive book in praise of the Estado Novo, claiming that the Salazarian state, a Christian and totalitarian one, is first and foremost based on love. His political involvement at the time was criticised after the war, including latterly by himself. It signs that the Romanian communist regime was about to take hold. He would move from his home country to France with his adopted daughter, Giza. It was a time of many changes, shifting ideologies, and as a sign of the depth of his own thoughts and his adaptability, he went from being known to backing these far-right movements in the 1940s to 20 years later a deep interest in the emerging hippie community. His academic interest was reciprocated by many hippies, some of whom viewed Eliada as a guru. But he was noted for his erudition. He had a fluent command of five languages, Romanian, French, German, Italian and English, and a reading knowledge of three others, Hebrew, Persian and Sanskrit. Machia Eliade's legacy in the field of the history of religions is unparalleled. And an endowed chair in the history of religions at the University of Chicago Divinity School was named after him in recognition of his wide contribution to the research on this subject. Writing at a time when the thoughts of Marx, Freud, etc. were widely discussed, Eliada rejected reductionist approaches to religion, noting that the social man, the economic man, and so forth are all important conditioning factors. Together, they do not of themselves add up to the life of the spirit. Eliada had a fleeting acquaintance with Carl Jung, 
who said in a letter that he had admiration and esteem for Eliada's work, although admitting he could be prone to idiotic errors. In a similar way to Jung, Eliada was keen to demonstrate broad and cross-cultural parallels and unities in religion, particularly in myths which he called universals. For instance, in ancient and traditional societies, he noted that the religious impulse was deeply embedded in our ancestors, and he portrayed man as a homo religiosus, looking at religious communal behaviour. Eliada asserts that man performs myths and rituals because the essence of the sacred lies in the mythical age, in the sacred's first appearance. Any later appearance is actually the first appearance by recounting or reenacting events, and rituals reactualize those events. Religious behavior does not only commemorate, but it also participates in sacred events, in what he called the eternal return. And this idea of the eternal return was original to Eliada and his central idea. Much of modern anxiety and alienation is because we have a yearning to remain in the mythical age, and this causes a terror of history, because we have a deep desire to escape this linear succession of events. The abandonment of mythical thought and the full acceptance of linear historical time with its terror is one of the reasons for the loneliness of existentialism and may be behind much mental health problems in the modern age. Traditional societies escape this anxiety to an extent as they refuse to completely acknowledge historical time with sacred ritual and liturgies that compensate. The eternal return the implicit belief present in religious thought in general that religious behaviour is not only an imitation of but also a participation in sacred events and thus restores in some way the mythical time of origins. However, he points out that there was an interesting point of divergence between the older religions of the East and the newer religions of the West. Humanity is 200,000 years old, and for at least 95% of humankind's existence on this planet, as a species, time was intuitively cyclical and circadian. And this is recorded in the ancient religions of the East and the concepts of reincarnation and the wheel of time. However, as Judaism emerged as the first monotheistic religion, and the self-consciousness of being God's chosen people was articulated, and then Christianity developed out of it. Judeo-Christian thinkers did not understand time as a circle endlessly turning on itself, nor did they see such a cycle as desirable, as a way to participate in the sacred. But they embraced the concept of linear history, progressing towards the messianic age or the last judgment, thus initiating the idea of progress and that humans are to work for a paradise in the future. 
This lineal theory of time would influence and be proven in cosmology by Father George Lemaitre with his famous Big Bang Theory. See the pod of June the 20th. Eliada developed the concept of hierophany, the manifestation of the sacred. A wider concept than theophany, the manifestation of a god. From the perspective of religious thought, Eliada argues that hierophanies give structure and orientation to the world and they establish a sacred order. The profane sense of non-religious experience can only be divided up geometrically into seconds, minutes, hours, days, months and so on. This division is purely functional and it has no qualitative differentiation and hence no orientation. According to Eliada, profane space gives man no pattern for his behaviour. There's no fasting because there's no Lent. There's no hoping during Advent. Hierophany, however, has a sacred structure to which religious man conforms himself. As an example of sacred space demanding a certain response from man, Eliada gives the story of Moses halting before Yahweh's manifestation as a burning bush and taking off his shoes. We could structurally divide the year into remembering these events and in some way participating in them with a liturgical calendar. And he was heavily influenced by Rudolf Otto's insight on the numinous experience, a profound emotional experience that the German theologian argued was at the heart of the world's religions. Building on Rudolf Otto's The Idea of the Holy, he attempted to show how religion emerges from the experience of the sacred and the myths of time and nature. And in Eliade's book, The Sacred and the Profane, he argued that Yahweh is both kind and wrathful, the God of the Christian mystics and theologians is terrible and gentle at once. In contrast to the Indian and Chinese mystics who try to attain a state of perfect indifference and neutrality in which pleasure and pain, desire and repulsion, cold and heat are expunged from their awareness. According to Eliade, heavenly supreme beings became less common in more advanced cultures. The discovery of agriculture brought a host of fertility gods and goddesses, causing the celestial supreme being to gradually fade away and eventually to vanish from many ancient religions. Even in primitive hunter-gatherer societies, the high god is a vague distant figure dwelling high above the world. Often he has no cult, and he receives prayer only as a last resort, when all else has failed. Eliada calls the distant high god a deus otiosus, an idol god. Whereas the radical Christian claim that Christ is the son of the high god is remarkable as it stops this historical drift and disengagement. In Eliada's own world words when the son of god incarnated became the christ he had to speak aramaic he could only conduct himself as a hebrew of his times his religious message however universal it might be 
was conditioned by the past and the present history of the Hebrew people. If the Son of God had been born in India, his spoken language would have had to conform itself to the structure of the many Indian languages. So Christianity's trans-historical message, Eliade argued, was the most important help that modern man could have in front of the terror of history. God willingly entered historical time by being born as Christ, and he accepted the suffering that followed. By identifying with Christ, modern man can learn to confront painful historical events. And Eliade sees Christianity as the only religion that can save man from the terror of history. In his own words again, Christianity incontestably proves to be the religion of fallen man, of modern man, who has lost the paradise of archetypes and repetition. Secular man, therefore, cannot escape his bondage to religious thought, because by its very nature, secularism depends on religion for its sense of identity, by resisting sacred models. By insisting that man make history on his own, secular man identifies himself only through opposition to religious thought, and as he frees and purifies himself from the superstitions of his ancestors. However, in reality, this is a futile and a false freedom, as modern man still retains a large stock of camouflaged myths and degenerated rituals, and still participates in something like the eternal return by reading modern literature, whose popularity is dictated by how it provides an escape from time, and the success of the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien, J.K. Rowling, and George R.R. Martin, and the worlds and the universes that they create would reflect this. Eliade also describes modern political ideologies, which can be so destructive as secularised mythology. Marxism takes up and carries one of the great eschatological myths of the Middle Eastern and Mediterranean world, mainly the redemptive part to be played by the just or the elect or the anointed, who would become the proletariat, and whose sufferings are invoked to change the ontological status of the world. The widespread myth of a golden age, which according to a number of traditions lies at the beginning and at the end of history, is Karl Marx's vision of the classless society. And finally, Eliade sees Marx's belief in the final triumph of good over evil, or the proletariat over the bourgeoisie, as a truly messianic Judeo-Christian ideology. Likewise, Eliade notes that Nazism involved a pseudo-pagan mysticism based on ancient Germanic religions. He suggests that the differences between the Nazis' pseudo-Germanic mythology and Marx's pseudo-Judeo-Christian mythology explain their fates and how long they've lasted. The universal optimism of the communist myth outlasts the limitations of the racial myth. 
Finally, many rituals and mystical experiences, according to Eliade, involve a coincidence of opposites, or a twofold revelation, which laments the lost, but contains a hope to be reconciled at some eschatological moment, that is, at the end of time, in which the very nature of the divinity shows itself. This appeals to us because of our deep dissatisfaction with our actual situation, with what is called the human condition. This coincidence of opposites leads to our modern sense of being torn and separate, and is balanced by our wish to recover the lost unity of the mythical paradise, or paradise lost, as Milton would say. Eliade's sense of this is that the most popular prayer in the world is addressed to our Father who art in heaven. It's possible that man's earliest prayers were addressed to the same Heavenly Father. As a leading interpreter of religious experience, he established paradigms in religious studies that persist to this day. And he was the author of hundreds of articles, the general editor of the 16-volume Encyclopedia of Religion, and he wrote dozens of books, all of which proved to be highly influential in the contemporary study of comparative religion. However, his literary works such as Bengal Nights, The Forbidden Forest, Isabel and the Devil's Waters and the novel of the near-sighted adolescent, accompanied with novellas such as Youth Without Youth, are often overlooked and worth reading. That's all from the Pearl of Great Price today. Join us tomorrow if you can. As we look at the sentencing of Alexander Solzhenitsyn to the terrible gulags in Siberia in Stalin's time, and how he returned to the Christian faith of his childhood in the harsh gulags and became one of the most effective chroniclers of the countless human rights abuses committed by the Soviet state. I hope you enjoyed listening. For links to any of the reading that I've done to research this podcast, visit us on www.pogp.net. And if you'd like to request a topic or ask any questions, then email the show on pogppod.gmail.com. If you have time, please subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. And have a lovely day wherever you are. And thanks for listening.